Hey, it's Alex Antipas from Mesno Americas. I want to introduce you to episode number two of Automation 101. We survived episode number one, which is always good. Um, don't forget, this is the purpose behind this is to really expand the whole conversation about lab automation and to pick the brains of experts so they can share their knowledge. So in the end, that we all have a better understanding of lab automation. I'm really happy today we have uh, another expert with us, Michael Vuk from Hamilton Company. Hi, Michael. Yes. Hey, so thanks for having me. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on. You uh, obviously watched the first episode and thought you'd want to partake in episode number two. Super. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, without you know, sounding like I'm just trying to butter you up, I, uh, I did actually really enjoy that episode. I'm excited to be part of this and hopefully, uh, hopefully I don't scare off the next guest. <laughs> Hopefully. Okay. So I I always like to start off uh, the, the conversation, and I say I always like to start off, you know, because I've done over 100 of these. Uh, again, I have to remind myself, this is only the second episode, but I like to start off the conversation by asking how you would define lab automation in, in the most simplest and basic of terms. Yeah. So I think... To give kind of a dictionary definition, I think lab automation is just taking what is currently a manual or a human process and using a machine or robot to accomplish it. Um, that's kind of the defi dictionary definition, but I think it misses the point of what's really going on when we talk about or think about the lab automation revolution, if you will. I think that people are really starting to rethink what it means to be a scientist. Um, you know, I mean, the core is the same. You know, obviously, you know, we're learning, we're expanding human knowledge, we're testing things. But I think the trappings are changing somewhere. I mean, do we really need to be spending days, weeks, or even cumulative months of your life and career doing things like opening tubes or pipetting you know that doesn't do anything to drive knowledge in and of itself so what if you know the concept of malcolm gladwell's ten thousand hours to become an expert what if instead of becoming an expert decapper you could become <laughs> an expert you know next generation sequencer you know or get to that point faster so i think that's really what is happening with lab automation is finding ways to be a better scientist, be a better uh, researcher, uh, tester, all of these things. So, you know, humans, we think, we create, we imagine, and robots are repetitive. They don't vary in their results. And I mean, they can do things that would honestly hurt a human, you know, repetitive strain, things like that. So my definition of lab automation would just be it's letting a machine do what machines do best so that you and I can go do what we do best. That's a really excellent explanation. I really liked your point about uh, becoming an expert decapper also. <laughs> 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 no, it's, it's true, I guess. You know, lab automation is about, you know, helping us be more innovative, be more creative as a result and not spending our time and our focus, I guess, and our, our brain power, so to speak, on things like decapping, recapping, pipetting, and so forth. So you know, all those right. boring, tedious tasks, that's something that, you know, the robot can do for us. Exactly, yeah. Free your mind up to go do something that's actually driving 
value for yourself and humanity. Excellent. So then talking about the value and understanding that there is value, obviously, in, in lab automation. I mean, we also know that if you look at the, the labs, you know, just here in the U.S., not everybody, obviously, has adopted uh, lab automation. So right. based on your experience, then, and this is a sneaky two-in-one question, um, if you were to think about, let's say, what are the top three reasons or the top three barriers, so to speak, to adopting lab automation? And having identified therefore those top three barriers, what are the specific steps that we can take to help labs embrace lab automation? Okay, yeah. And I think I'm going to respond to your sneaky two-in-one question uh, by my first one's going to be kind of a two-in-one answer, and then I'll build out the rest. Uh, and I'll kind of answer how can we overcome it somewhat intertwined with what the barrier is. Um, I think my first barrier is uh, really easy. It's education and experience, which it's really difficult to be the first adopter of something. If you don't have any knowledge of something and you don't have any firsthand experience with it and nobody else in your friend group or peer group has knowledge or experience with it, the barrier to entry is just astronomically high. And it's really difficult to break that and get into that new thing, whatever it is, whether it be a self-driving car or automation. And so I think that's where uh, the solution to that is more resources, you know, to self-promote briefly. That's what drove me to start posting on LinkedIn was going, okay, there's this whole world of vocabulary used for automation that does not jive with normal conversation. You know, you start talking about, you know, PLLD and, you know, all these other things and people look at you like you've got three heads. So we really need basic 101, what are we even talking about when we use this acronym or this term? What do you need to think about to get into automation? You know, basic things like that, which is one of the reasons I'm super excited about this video series, is just to get that resource out there to provide that education to hopefully make it easier for people to consider what's really going on and what that might look like for their labs. So I think that getting that accessible information is huge. I think right. the, the other two barriers are going to be price and complexity. Um, I, and this ties in with the education piece, because I don't think people understand how drastically the world of lab automation has changed, even in the last couple of years. Um, in my experience, people think that they need to be dropping six figures or sometimes even seven figures in order to get into the lab automation game. And if that is the case, I mean, wow, talk about a barrier to entry. You know, you're ruling out the majority of academic labs. You're ruling out the majority of companies. You know, a startup, unless you have insane venture capital, is not going to be able to drop that sort of money just off the bat. Um, so that is a huge barrier. Similarly, with the complexity, 
people tend to think that they need a dedicated programmer, a computer engineer, or sometimes even like a mechanical engineer in order to run lab automation to keep it operational. And that's just not true anymore. There are absolutely systems out there that you can drop that sort of money on and you need the programming aspect or you need the service engineer to keep them running. That's still the case, but there's this whole other world that has really grown up in the automation space of, uh, of accessible, affordable, I hate to call it starter automation, but you know, starter first steps into automation where you don't need an entire room dedicated. It can just fit on your bench. You can walk up and learn to use it in a matter of minutes or just an hour or two versus needing you know, weeks of programming experience. Um, so I really think that that is, you know, that's a huge barrier and that's how we overcome it is getting out there. And once again, educating people, getting out to trade shows, networking events, um, doing video content to let people see the face of automation has changed and continues to change to be accessible and affordable. You know, I mean, if you wanted to buy a nice micro, you know, not even a nice microscope, a mid range microscope or a liquid nitrogen freezer, you can get automation for that same budgetary ballpark. So I think uh, that that's my thoughts on it. No, I agree with you. I think we were, we were chatting earlier. We did say that th there seems to be a lack of resource uh, for anyone just to go on and to find any information about automation. And uh, I think obviously it doesn't help to dispel this notion or this myth that automation isn't for me. It's not for my lab. I, I'm, you know, I'm a small guy or I'm a medium sized guy. I, I'm not like these big boys out there. They've got millions of dollars to spend and these right. huge budgets and, and, and whatnot. And so, you know, it'd be nice to get there one day, but I'm, I'm far from there. So I'm just going to stick with doing what I'm doing. And, you know, automatically, that's an, it's immediate barrier, isn't it? Really, if you think about it, it's just immediate. You know, they just completely cut you off and they don't even bother maybe to continue any conversation. Yeah, it's it's been amazing as I've been going out to some of these trade shows and I'll bring um, the system that I sell is you know, it's like two feet wide by two feet deep and two feet tall. I put it in the back of my van and drive it. <laughs> um, if uh, if my team is watching this, uh, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I drive it around places and having this at trade shows, I see the like eureka moment happen as I'm talking with labs or lab directors, lab staff, and they come in and they see this. And you get to talking about them, they start going like, wait, this is a full liquid handler? But yes. And then I'll ask them, hey, how much do you think it costs? And they go, oh, it's $100,000. It's $120,000. You're off by almost $100,000. It's, you know, it's $20,000. It's $30,000. Yeah. And it's like mind blown. And they get excited. They lean in. Where before it was kind of this, I'm coming to automation booth just to kind of fantasize, see what's out there. And then all of a sudden it gets real. It's like, oh, I might be able to do this. What might that look like in my lab? Can you do this? Can you do that? 
And it's a complete shift in mentality. And I mean, that's one of the favorite parts of my job is like seeing that, that light bulb moment where it's like, Oh, it's available for all of us now. Yeah, exactly. It's accessible for everybody. So, I mean, I, and I know we talk a lot about the, the benefits of lab automation and it's, and it's amazing. And it really is. I mean, there's some great, obviously some great uh, case studies, but you know, everybody always plugs the positive side of automation, you know, and like I said, there's case studies, there's white papers, you know, I, I don't think you ever see anything about, you know, failure in, in, in lab automation, but the reality is, you know, I think we can all, you know, it's funny because if you, if you think about organizations, they'll, you know, if you want to be a leader in an organization, like, you know, they ask you about your failures and how failure is great. It's a great thing for your personal growth. And what did you learn from the failures and so forth? Right. We don't really talk about failures in lab automation because everything's always perfect. But the reality is, you know, we live in a real world. Uh, everything is not perfect. And sometimes lab automation solutions just fail miserably. So from your experience, again, you know, why do you think that's the case? So why do lab automation systems and solutions fail? That's a, that's a big question. And I think it's kind of like asking, why do wrecks happen on the highway? Right. Yeah. I have an answer for that. <laughs> there's there's a million different factors that could play into it. But I think, you know, I mean, are you driving a manual car? Is it in the automatic? Is it self-driving? You know, all those things, they can all wreck for different reasons. But I think thinking about automation, um, the number one, you know, just to reiterate what Cole said last week, I'm not having a plan. You have to know what you want to get out of automation. Um, if you think that a robot is going to make your lab perfect and it can just do anything, uh, you're in for a really nasty surprise and you're going to be frustrated. You're going to feel like you wasted time and money um, because honestly you did. If you didn't have a goal, there's a lab. Um, I was just talking with an automation engineer the other day and he was really frustrated because he is working with a group that they bought a really nice automation system. I mean, it's one of those six-figure automation systems. And they didn't really know why they were buying it. They bought it because they wanted to increase throughput in their lab. And then a couple months into getting it set up, they decided to go work on a different assay on it instead. And then they were working on getting that optimized and set up. And they're like, well, we got this thing over here. Actually, let's pivot over to this. It's been a year and a half now, they're not up and running because they've changed focus so many different times and uh, they didn't know what they wanted to get done and their solution, it's honestly, it's failed. So you've got to know what you want to get out of it. And if you can, you know, quantify it, you know, I need to increase X by this amount. I want to walk away time or, uh, throughput, whatever it is, you know, get really specific and identify what's causing you heartburn and what the ideal state would look like. And then you can design an automation solution around that instead of buying a system and then trying to design your workflow around the system. Um, And one other thing, if we're talking about the entry level space, which, you know, I said a lot of people don't even realize exists. But when you do realize it exists, you get really excited about it, and you should. 
But I think one reason entry-level automation systems um, and solutions can fail is because we don't necessarily know much about the world of automation. And now we're taking this first step. People don't necessarily know what they're looking for as terms of technology. And there's some great entry-level systems out there. There's also, to be quite honest, some subpar ones where they're missing key pieces of technology that you need to make automation work and to work properly. Because a robot is only as smart as we equip it to be. So that would just be the thing, you know, you wouldn't want to go buy a car, you know, if you don't know anything about cars other than, hey, they drive, they have wheels, they go down the road, you know, you might go buy a car that doesn't have airbags or doesn't have power steering. Or, I mean, worst case scenario, God forbid, you buy a car that doesn't have brakes. You know, <laughs> you, you know that's a bad scenario. You're setting yourself up for failure. And so you've just got to educate yourself on what is essential for automation to actually work properly. If this is your first time stepping into it and you're looking at these smaller, more entry-level systems, because the larger guys that do cost a lot of money they're going to have what you need to effectively work, but there's a lot of new players entering the automation game. So just do your due diligence, research, find somebody who knows automation, talk to them about, hey, how do I keep it from failing in this way? What tech do I need? And, uh, you know, go from there, do your research, do your due diligence. So it's like, you know, lack of knowledge and a lack of a plan. Pretty much. Right you know, uh, on, on that front. And, and I just want to add to it because I think also, you know, I, I you can have the best plan in the world. You can have, you know, the most resource available to you and, and, and so forth. But the reality is you need, I think, the people in the lab to be on your side. Uh, because if they're not, I think that people can be the biggest hindrance to an automation solution being, you know, a success or a failure, because you know, to your point earlier about you know the, the, the robot is only as smart as as we make it out to be, yeah. And, and I think you know the solution. You know, obviously somebody has to put it into practice. It has to work and so forth. But if you haven't got your team behind you, who, who are like embracing and thinking, yeah, this is this is great. This is really going to help my job. I, I think it's probably destined uh, for failure, unfortunately, in that regard. You Completely know. agree. And, and that leads me, therefore, to, to my final question, um, the people question, because we know that, you know, any change in general, uh, whether it be lab automation or, or, you know, maybe you get acquired by another company or whatever it may be, you get a new boss and, and, and so forth. Any change can create anxiety. Any change can create a little bit of stress. People do tend to demonstrate at times, you know, a resistance mm-hmm. to change. Uh, sometimes out of fear, for example, you know, how's this going to impact on my job, on my role? Am I still going to have a job at the end of this? And, and, and so forth. And so from that perspective, therefore, you know, what what can we do to, um, and, I, and I say the lab people, you know, get the guys in the lab to to embrace lab automation? Yeah. the uh, I completely agree that people are, Essential, which you know, once again, as an automation guy, people think I'm trying to get rid of people sometimes, but no, like people are the linchpin here. I think, you know, how do we 
ensure that they're getting on board. I mean, I don't think we can ensure it, but the biggest thing is, you know, we've got to listen. We really have to listen to them as to make this a personal example. People think that, you know, I'm in sales. People think that as a sales rep, my job is to have all the answers and to force my system into every scenario and every lab and just sell, sell, sell. And that's really not my job. My job as a salesperson is to listen to what people are saying, understand what their needs are, understand if there's pain there, what is their pain, and then understand my products well enough that if, and I, I got to stress, if there's a fit where my stuff might help address the pain and make it better, then we talk and engage. And so to take that out of sales, I and talk just generally about automation. I think it's the same thing as a advocate for automation. It's not the right solution for every single lab, every single application. So I can talk all day about why I think automation is great. And that may not mean anything to somebody else because it doesn't deal with their world, their problem. So I think the biggest thing we can do to ensure people get on board is talk to them listen to them, really understand what's going on. What don't they like about their workflow? Is that something automation could help with? It might be. It might just be they need a different chemistry at play, you know, because if you use a inferior chemistry on automation, you're just going to get inferior results faster, you know? <laughs> so let's figure out what the problem is and address that and maybe automation is part of that. Maybe it's not. So really listen and understand. And then as we're talking to people, a lot of times automation can help. And that's going to come up where we see those pain points and maybe they haven't considered automation as a potential solution. So when we listen, when we talk, then it's a very natural conversation about, okay, yeah, you're dealing with this. I've seen other labs deal with that. Here's how they addressed that problem. And here's how automation fit into that. Does that make sense for your group? Why or why not? And it's a very natural conversation. And it really lowers the friction because people start to realize that you and me, were not in there to force automation down their throats. Yeah. We really genuinely want to make their lives better. We want their labs to be more efficient. We want their quality of life to improve. So I think that is a big piece. Um, I think the one other thing I would say in trying to kind of lower that barrier, get people on board with this idea of automation is to encourage creativity. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge nerd. Um, I love sci-fi. Um, one reason I love good sci-fi is because it promotes this awestruck view of the world i think you know what if thinking and my son lives in this mode you know he's at the great young age yeah, he's like what if our car was also an airplane it's like you know i don't know what would that look like um i think we lose that as adults a lot of times where you no know, cars aren't planes. that's a stupid question but let's get back into that sandbox mentality. There was a professor I was talking to down at Auburn who he got it. He had that what if thinking where he was putting together this idea of, man, like 
what if I could take a freshman in college and have them sequence a genome in one semester? He's like, I could use some entry-level lab automation, like the prep, and I could do that. And then I could use like Oxford Nanopore technology and that's affordable and it's small scale. And I could take these different pieces, put them together, and all of a sudden, a freshman who has no science experiment uh, experience could walk out after one class being like, I just sequenced the genome. <laughs> I heard him talk about that. Oh, my God. Like, I never considered that application, using this in a teaching environment and what it might do there. That's amazing. I mean, talk about lowering the barrier to science, you know, and enabling a student to think outside the box and go, wow, science might be for me. You know, I can think, I can imagine, I can do these crazy things that, I mean, can you imagine talking to the people that did the Human Genome Project back in the day when they were working on it? They go, oh, yeah, we might have a freshman in college do this. In one semester, affordably, like, wow, you know, so listen, enable creativity. And I think that's how we succeed, um, not just as automation advocates, but, you know, just just as people, just as human beings. That's that's how we succeed in life. And I think it's the same thing for automation. Right. Well, I mean, Michael, I just want to say thank you very much. I mean, you've been a wonderful guest. Clearly, you're, you're very passionate, very excited about lab automation, which it shines through which is great to be with you. No, so thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I uh, I really enjoyed having this conversation. I love those moments where I get to kind of sit back and dream with somebody else. So thank you for having me. <laughs>